Nikita Kucherov is staying in Tampa Bay for the long haul. Adam Henrique stays in Anaheim, but their offensive issues could still be lingering. Matt Dumba gets paid, but Jacob Truba does not. And are we paying goaltenders the right way? Episode 133 starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. It's been a couple of weeks since uh, we last spoke, and uh, because of that, there's uh, so much hockey news to cover that we can't cover at all, uh, but we're going to be covering a, a lot on this show today. Uh, but first, like we always do, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am, yeah. All right, and it's Bruins theme, so question 22 oh, nice. should be right up your alley, and here cool. it is. Which NHL goalie did Hall of Fame inductee Cam Neely score most often against? Was it A, Patrick Waugh, class of 2006, B, Mike Richter, eligible since 2006, he's not in the Hall of Fame, C, Ed Belfour, class of 2011, or D, Dominic Hasek, class of 2014? Um, it's always hard when you do this because I don't, like, I, I forget some of these. Um, let's see here, Belfour, Hasek, what were the other two? Um, Waugh, class of 06, was A, B was Richter, C was Belfour, D was Dominic Hasek. Um, well, let's see here. So, Neely played in, from 84 to 96. Um, I was going to say Hasek, just because he uh, played in the same time frame, around the same time frame, and... You know, he was in the division of the th- of the four that you mentioned, but I don't know. I feel like that's not the right answer. So I'm going to go with Hasek. You think Dominic Hasek is the correct answer? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cam Neely netted 452 career goals, 34 of which came against St. Patrick Waugh. Wow. Okay. Well, let see. See, the reason why I picked Hashik was because I knew that they were in the same division. Mm-hmm. I know Hashik is the greatest goaltender of all time, but I figured like, oh well, Neely has the best chances against Hashik. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I, I guess he likes I guess, scoring against Patrick Waugh more. So. Well, okay. I, I guess I. Well, I forgot about how Patrick Waugh also was. You know. Um, yeah. in the, in the yeah, division people too. People forget about how uh, Patrick Waugh's yeah. uh, tenure in Montreal right. ended. It's almost like he never played for them. <laughs> right, right, yeah. That whole. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not right. gonna lie. Hashik was a good guess. It was a very I, good okay, guess. well, you 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 sounded like you like you were like that was the stupidest answer of all time. Um, <laughs> well, it, in in fairness, though, I I think. The fact that Waugh was with the Habs in 86. Yeah, yeah. that should have been a good clue. Until like 92, 93. All right, I should have known that. He would have to score quite a bit. But, 
you know, yeah. it, it's it's not a bad guess though. Like Dominic Ashik didn't give up too many goals to anybody. Right, right. But that, now that I, I'm looking here, has... and, and the big moments seem to thrive yeah. against the big goalies. So okay, yeah. If I if I had spent more time on this, then I if I thought this through even more, then yeah, I probably yeah. would have gone with Wall. I, I don't think I would even get <laughs> half of these right. So. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, uh, on to the show. Uh, we're talking about, oddly enough, goaltenders in our main Yeah, topic. we are, uh, funnily enough. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, so this is uh, this was sparked by the fe- well, by two things. Well, three things, I guess. Maybe four things. Um, <laughs> one, uh, I guess I can just say the deals, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about if they're good, and we'll go into more detail later. Um, so, Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, well, first off, um, it's been a while, guys, um, so a lot of stuff happened. Feels like this, these stories have happened, like, this was two weeks ago, so, um, but it feels like a, even longer. Marc-Andre Fleury re-signs with Vegas for three years, uh, which is a 5 million AAV, um, annual average value, if you don't know. Um, and it sh- should be important to note that it this this deal starts next season. Um, I should reiterate that Flurry is 33 years old right now. So by the end of this deal, that means he'll be 36, 37 in that range. Um, by the end of this deal, um, okay. Then after I, I I'll I'll just I'll just just say the other two, and then we can. Um, and then we can go more in depth into all three of these. Um, Hellebuck resigns with Winnipeg for six years, six million annual average value. And Saros resigns with Nashville for three years, and get this, one point five million annual average value. Um, and this is also sparked by uh, Travis Yost had this article. Um, that claims that the NHL still hasn't figured out how to pay goaltenders. Um, so we're gonna—I mean, first we're gonna talk, we're gonna detail um, these deals, and you know, kind of analyze it that way. Um, and then I have some stats for you about uh, goalies that are paid a lot, um, and. Um, and their career save percentages in the amount of career games that they have, um, and then we'll uh, we'll discuss this Yoast article, um, and then we'll obviously go to the rapid fire afterwards. But uh, so first off, let's talk about Flurry. Um, so he's 33 years old. He went 29, 13, and four with a 9.27 save percentage and a 2.24 goals uh, against average. This was Actually, uh, his career year, this was his first year in Vegas, but we should mention that he missed about uh, 40 games or so, um, or I guess 30 games. He, you know, he played 46 games, so that's about, um, I don't know, I can't do quick math, but uh, but uh, he was, you know, uh, that had a lot to do with his success. I feel like um, if he played a little bit more, it may not be, um, he may not have as good stats as he has right now, or as he had right now. Um, also to take into account that he's 33 years old right now, and, um, this contract isn't even going to start right now, so I find this a little strange, but at the same time, you know, 
he was clearly the the face. He's been the face of the franchise since the franchise has started. So I do, from that perspective, I understand it. But I don't know, seven million uh, for three years for a guy who's going to be in his mid thirties. Um, it's a it's a little. Um, I don't know. It, it seems a little strange to me. Um, so what is your opinion on this? Well, not only are they giving him an average annual value of seven million, they're also ha- uh, giving him a 10 team, no trade clause, uh, mm-hmm. for all three years, uh, for a guy who's like 33 years old right now, it's, it's definitely a gamble and yeah. it's, it's tough to tell, you know, when, when you're able to do what he did in his first year with Vegas, um, a team that, in the eyes of a lot of people, probably overachieved a lot in right. their first year. This guy finished second in goals against average uh, amongst NHL goalies with a minimum of 41 games last year. Um, second in save percentage as well. As far as slot shot save percentage goes, he was first in that. So paying him this kind of money after a season like that is is, is well and good. If you're a goalie that's in the prime of your career, the thing is, like we said, he's 33 years old. It's maybe a bit easier to tell with a guy like William Carlson, who's just starting to find his stride. But you don't know if you're going to get this kind of hockey out of a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury for these next three years. But like you said, this guy is the face of the franchise. This is the guy that fans gravitated towards in the expansion draft. He's got that connection with the fans. You look at Malcolm Subban, is he ready to be a number one goalie in this league? I don't think so yet. And then you have to ask yourself, how many goalies like Marc-Andre Fleury would be willing to sign in Vegas right now? And I think the answer to that is we don't know. So I think right now it makes sense. Three years down the road, that's another question entirely. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's particularly what's, Interesting about this deal, I find, is that, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury was injured for, you know, for most of the season. Um, uh, Let me actually do the math now. Um, He missed... Good chunk of of the first half he was out, you're right, and that was when they were down to, like, their fifth string goal. Yeah, yeah. um, I don't know exactly how many games were played when he was actually injured because, you know, sometimes even when you're healthy, when a starting goaltender is healthy, they don't always play all 82 games. But um, so he played 46 games, which means um, he uh, he missed 36 games. Um, but so, like, I feel like it's, it, like, I think a lot of the reason why he was able to be so dominant in the playoffs, although until the end in the finals, but, um, you know, he, he still had like an impressive playoff performance was just the fact that he did have that much rest in the regular season. So I am curious about, I know he's also, you know, this age is a factor, but there's also this injury risk that you have to worry about so concussions in particular yeah concussions in particular you know um you know it's not like and also like you know maybe this is just 
a, a team thing, and you know, the, I feel, I still feel like the Golden Knights may have had a fluky season this year, but um, but you know, like when he was in Pittsburgh, you know, when if he struggled, it was kind of okay because you know you have Crosby and Malkin there, um, and you know, and eventually later in, in um, you know, or recently you had Matt Murray to take over. Um, so it, it wasn't like a huge deal if he messes up, but like now in Vegas, you don't have the benefit of having Crosby. You don't have the benefit of Malkin. Um, you know, I mean, sure. Jonathan Marshall still seems like he's going to be pretty good still. William Carlson, we'll see. Um, but you know, those guys aren't like, it's a different team than the Penguins per se. Um, and you know, Malcolm Subban did uh, play really well. Um, when he, when he could, and, you know, even Oscar Danks, and, um, there was another guy who, uh, <laughs> the Vegas went four, uh, had four goalies, um. Maxime Legacy was the other name. Yeah, Leg- Legacy was the other guy. So, like, there is that aspect of things where, like, this, that, that season was so out of the ordinary that it's so hard to predict, um, if it will, you know, continue again, and I'm not necessarily sure if, you know, like if Oscar Danks can play some some games for you for the team, then it's like, how important is Flurry to the team? And that's what I'm not necessarily sure um, if if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. um, let's go to the other one, which is uh, another guy uh, who had a career year. And this is a little bit uh, more justified, sort of, I guess. I love Connor Hellebuck. Um, He's he's the the future of American goaltending, so um, I love him um, in that sense. Um, He's 25 years old. Um, He's going to be making uh, six. So he got a six-by-six contract, so six years, six million per, per year. Um, he's 25 years old, as I mentioned, so that's not bad. As I mentioned, he had a career year, but this is like, that's, that's like even an understatement. Uh, he had 44 wins, 11 losses, and 9 ties or, you know, overtime, shootout losses. Um, his save percentage was 924, uh, was a 924, and his GAA was a 2.36 GAA, um, if you remember last year, um, he uh, he struggled a lot uh, during the season. Um, I mean, given he was a 23 year old, but he you know he had a 907 save percentage, a 2.89 GAA, um, and he lost he he won 26 games but lost 19, and uh, um, Ford went into overtime or shootout that he also lost, but. Um, so, um, so there, so those were like, you know, it's kind of like a tale of the two seasons where that was, you know, and then this off season they had to get the, the Winnipeg Jets went and signed, uh, Steve Mason to a big deal because they weren't sure if Hellebuck was actually capable of being a full-time starter. And then it turns out that Hellebuck was, capable all along, and that was the push he needs, so, 
Um, there is also that kind of risk when you make this kind of move because, you know, yes, Hellebuck has a ton of potential, especially after this last season. So he could be like a Devin Duvnik type player, you know, where it's like, oh, he, we lost all hope on him, but it turns out that he's actually pretty good. Um, but on the other hand, it's like there's there it could be re- in reverse. It could be like this is a fluky season as well. Um, I you know, but on the bright side, as opposed to Flurry, he's he's 25 years old, so. He has a plenty of like even if he does struggle a bit, he may not be worth that six million that he's getting. But you know he still has a couple of years left um, to prove himself. So so there is that bright side of aspect of things, and and as well as what I was mentioning before with Win with Pittsburgh, Winnipeg is kind of stacked in the forward group. So you don't necessarily have to rely on him too much. Um, for a goalie, considering you do have Line A, Wheeler, Shifley, uh, Connor, I can really go all day with that. So, Bufflin. Uh, so it's, um, so there is that aspect of it, but it's still, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've, I've had enough talking. What, what, what is your thoughts on this? <laughs> well, it's no doubt they had a great year. I mean, you finish in a tie for first with 44 wins, a year after a roller coaster performance. Um, 924 save percentage ranks in the league's top 10. Finishes ninth in save percentage from the slot with the 856. That's pretty good. Um, like you said, he wasn't supposed to be the guy. Steve Mason was supposed to be the guy, but he emerged as a clear cut number one mm-hmm. and one of the best goalies in the league because he worked hard and he capitalized on the chance that was given to him. And based on his performance in the playoffs, and that's what sealed this to me, is the Winnipeg Jets went to the conference finals. He was able to back up his numbers and numbers in the playoffs. And he made it clear to Winnipeg, I'm the goalie of the future. I am the guy that you need. And the Jets gave him his payday. The danger is we saw this last year with Cam Talbot when he was thrusted into duty. Um, and the difference between the Winnipeg Jets back then is they had Steve Mason and Michael Hutchinson who when called upon played pretty good and, and both had pretty decent years when healthy, but with Cam Talbot, there wasn't really anyone to back him up for the last two years. It's been a mixture of Laurent Brassois and Alan Montoya. And, um, now the question is with, Laurent Brassois as the backup to Cam Talbot, potentially, because now Michael Hutchinson's in Florida. Steve Mason obviously traded, later bought out. Right, um, right. You, you said Talbot. You meant Hellebuck. Laurent Brassois yeah. is on the Jets now. Not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's basically the same problem, though. Yeah. Is that Laurent Brassois is your backup. If Connor Hellebuck struggles, the Jets are essentially screwed. Yeah. Because... True. I don't consider Laurent Sois as a capable backup goalie. And they're falling into the same trap, in my opinion, as well, the Edmonton Oilers, where if Hellebuck struggles, they're in really deep trouble. Well, I should say, I mean, yeah, Brossois didn't have a great year um, last year. He, uh, I'm just looking at his numbers now. He had an 887 below 900 save percentage. 
in 14 even, games even last year. Even when the Oilers were doing well and he was the backup in 2016-2017, they were still yeah. using Cam Talbot pretty heavily. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's still like he's only played 28 games. It's not like, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, a lot, especially goalies, they take a while to develop in the NHL, I feel like. So it's yeah. like, you know, he still has potential in that sense. But, yeah, no, I do I do understand what you're saying. It's like, yeah, if Hellbuck does struggle, then you have to rely on Boussois and who knows what he's going to be. Um, so, yeah, that is certainly something to think about in the future. But at the moment, I, I kind of like the deal, but there is still that risk just because this is, you know, Hellbuck has only had one good season. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and that's where it gets risky. I mean, I guess technically he had two good seasons, cause his, but, you know, his rookie season when he was 22 years old in 2015, um, he only played 26 games, though. So that's uh, kind of a small sample size mm-hmm. for a goalie. But he, but he did enough in this year to show that he is worth this kind of money. Yeah, or that he, he at least... To, he just needs to continue to show it. Now. Exactly. And that we, he at least... Like, he has the potential to be like a Dominic Hasek or Patrick, Patrick Waugh to uh, call back early on in this episode. But it's, you know, it's also he... You know, he could be another, you know, it could be a fluky season again. So that's that's where the risk comes in. And and I I do like this idea. Like, if you can get, a, you know, a future Vezina winner for $6 million, then, yeah, that's a steal. Um, that's a steal if you compare it to, like, Quick or Pricer exactly. and getting upwards of $10 million a year. Exactly. So that's – so there's that aspect of things. But it's also um, – tough, you know, but like, you know, he has to actually get there. Um, um, and that, I guess that's a discussion for a little bit later on in this, uh, in this episode. Uh, but first off, we have to talk about, uh, Husey Saros. Um, this is kind of not a tight, this was one of those things where I saw this on Twitter and I was like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> the, uh, Saros, uh, re-signs with Nashville, for three years, one point five million annual average value. Um, yeah, that's that's right. One point five million annual average value. It's not like he's um, like I first saw this and I thought like, oh, that you know that must mean that you know I guess they got him on a cheaper, a team friendly deal because I thought like, oh, one point five, you know, it's he's gonna split it or something like that. But no, it's like. Uh, it's it's throughout. Uh, so I think I originally saw that it was like a six point five, and it's like, oh, that seems fair for him for one year, and then or like maybe a little bit much, but it's just like whatever. And then I saw that it was one point five, and it was like that. The six point five was the uh, annual uh, salary or like the total salary salary, and one point five was the annual average value. Uh, just to uh, mention some things that makes this interesting, Saros um, is 23 years old. Um, he had a 20, um, he's been pr- really good, um, even as a backup. I know it's a small sample size, which may have attributed to this 1.5 million annual average value, but even still, it's it's pretty good. Uh, save per- his save percentage is 925. 
His GAA is 2.45 last year, but again, he only pl- he only started 23 games uh, last year. And then also to uh, reiterate, Pecorine, um, who's making seven million, um, he's going to be a UFA next year. Um, so, you know, the Predators could potentially have use like their starting goaltender making 1.5 million dollars for the next for two years assuming Rene doesn't you know uh doesn't resign with the Predators next year um and so that's like a ridiculously good year uh considering how good Saros has been I guess there is some risk involved in this just because we you know he hasn't actually been a starter and it it looks like it's going to be a 1a 1b situation this season um, but still, it's like, that's a pretty good deal if this guy, especially if Saros is going to be the starter, um, in a couple years. Yeah. And, and you're getting three more years, um, well, at least one more year to Grunball and Pecorino, but assuming that he stays, you're going to get at least three more years. Uh, you don't have the pressure of being the answer right away if Pecorino uh, gets extended. And after these three years, I can definitely see this guy becoming the number one goalie of the National Predators because by that time, Pecorino is going to be 38, 39 years old. Yeah. So the next contract that Rene signs, it's not going to be a massive deal. I think it's going to be more like a two- or three-year deal just because he's getting towards the end of his career. And you take a look at Saros' stats. This is amongst goalies with a minimum of 1,000 minutes played last year. Saros ranked ninth in even strength save percentage, 931. Fourth in even strength the slot save percentage, that was 881. Inner slot save percentage at even strength was 824. That was 10th amongst goalies. And that was all due to, despite a poor start to the regular season. We, I remember vividly us talking in the regular season going, what's wrong with UC Saros? What's going on? He's not, he's not playing as well. And then he stepped it up and he yeah. finished the year, I think 11, five and seven. So I think like Hellebuck, if he gets a consistency part of his game down pat, we're looking at possibly a goalie of the future in Nashville here. Yeah, I I agree, especially considering like during the playoffs this year where Rene struggled a bit. Um, there was there was that aspect of um, like oh well maybe Saros you know like we're not sure about. Rene's future, particularly now that, you know, Rene is going to be a free agent next year. Um, the Predators have a little bit of a, a UFA, I guess they don't actually now that I think about it, but um, another, uh, they have Pekka Rene gonna, is going to be a UFA next year, as I mentioned, but also Ryan Ellis is going to be a UFA next year, which yeah. is going to be interesting. Um and they don't have a ton of cap space per se. Uh, uh, even I, I mean, I guess it's uh, in total. It's going to be. Um, I can't. Uh, cap friendly doesn't have it. I thought cap friendly does have it here, but um, you know, so that's uh, so maybe some of that money that's going to be given to Pecorine. I would imagine Ryan Ellis will get a pay raise how much that is is going to be the question and then you know now that the predators do have saros locked up for the relative future um 
it's like, you know, kind of Rene doesn't need to really be there as much. Although, of course, it is important to have two pretty good goalies nowadays in this league. So, um, so I, I will be curious to see how this, that situation goes for them because he is, you know, Rene has kind of been a, a bolster, a bolster, that's not a word, um, like a, a, a pin, I don't even know what the word is, a launching pad, maybe, I don't know, yeah. uh, um, I can't think of the right phrase, but the, he's kind of just been a, he's, you know, he's kind of been consistent for, for the Predators for, for a long time now, and, um, there is that aspect of, um, you know, so it, it could be a sad situation if, um, if he does, if he is let go, but it, they could afford to lose him, um, especially at that cost of seven million. Yeah, um, especially if Saros is able to demonstrate that he is the clear cut number one of the future next year. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> sorry for a fumbling there, but yeah, no, no you're right. Um, it, there is that aspect of it. Um, so speaking of which. Um, so I had, uh, so this got, um, all three of these deals kind of started this conversation where, um, the, uh, Travis Yost, who I believe writes for TSN, um, he came out with this article, um, that, uh, that mentioned, that says that uh, the NHL still hasn't figured out how to pay goaltenders in this league. Um, and it kind of got me thinking, and it kind of, I'm sure it got Steve's thinking as well, of how, given how inconsistent goalies can be, like, you know, like take a guy like Carey Price, for instance. Sure, of course, he was injured uh, this season, but... Um, I guess a better example would be Holtby just because he wasn't injured, but like, you know, Holtby's been consistent for a long time. And then this season he, uh, he kind of dropped off a bit. Um, in the regular playoffs season. when he got yeah. good again. Right, right. Uh, I, I should reiterate the regular season. So there is like, is there a benefit of paying or goaltending a lot of money for, um, you know, just because then you, that means you can't afford to pay other guy, other like skaters or other defensemen that you will need in the future, which is something that the Predators will do, speaking of that. Um, so I actually found a couple of uh, goaltenders who uh, I, uh, I have their ages, the amount of money that they're playing, their career save percentages, and how many career games they have. And then I compared them to Hellebuck and, and uh, Fleury. Um, and it, it is kind of interesting here. Um, it might, I mean, maybe if you want to write these down, because it, it is better as a visual here, but um, but I'll, uh, I'll just say it here. So um, the mo- who's making the most money right now is... Uh, of goalies is Sergei Bobrovsky, um, who is 29 years old, uh, 7.45, he's making 7.45 million per year. Um, he has a, a 0.20 career save percentage in 395 career games. 
that seems to be a good deal. Um, yes, it's a lot of money, but you know, Bob Rowski is one of the best goaltenders in the league right now. He is the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, I, I guess I'll be, I'll just say, I, I don't want to go into this whole thing, but I guess, uh, Rask, uh, has 30, is making, uh, 31 years old. He's making 7 million, a 922 career save percentage in 470 career games. Um, we've, we talked about this a lot, um, as, as a, a partial Bruins podcast where, you know, Rask is, it's a little bit under underappreciated. I can see why people would think he's a little bit overpaid, but um, but still, like both a nine. Of us, both of us think he's a top ten goalie. Exactly, he's definitely a top ten goalie. Um, I think seven million is worth it, um, especially when you see that he has a nine twenty two career save percentage, which is absurd um, in four seventy games. So. So that is kind of like, all right, so that that's also kind of worth it. Uh, this is where it gets a little tricky because we mentioned Pecorine early on. Uh, he's 35 years old. He's making $7 million. He has a 919 career save percentage in 567 career games. Um, so that's a little like, you know, 919 obviously isn't bad, but it's not like, I don't think that's worth $7 million per se. Um, uh, Brayden Holtby, um, is 28 years old, uh, 6.1 million, um, but he has a 919 career save percentage in 361 careers games. So a little bit, he's played a little bit less than Rask and Rene for obvious reasons, because he's younger, but, um, you know, a 919 career save percentage is pretty good for that price of 6.1 million. Uh, Lundquist, uh, is 36 years old. Um, he's making eight point five million, so that's the most. Oh no, the second most uh, carry price, which we'll get into. Uh, but um, he has a nine nineteen career save percentage in eight oh five career games. Um, it is a little like I guess for all these, you can kind of take into account like the defense or the team that he has ahead of him. You know, so like Lundqvist versus Holtby, it's a little. It's hard to compare because Holtby has a better team in front of him, whereas Lundqvist, like, I mean, the Rangers made the playoffs and um, got far a couple times in his run, but it's still, like, um, I, I, it's, it's, it's kind of a toss-up who's better, I feel like. Uh, Luongo is 39 years old. He's making $8.33 million. Um, He has a 920 career save percentage in 1,001 career games. So of these goalies so far, that's the most impressive because uh, 920 career save percentage is in a thousand games um, for Luongo. Although, of course, you have injury history and he's about to turn 40 years old pretty soon. So there is that that aspect of things. Um, I have three more to go. I'm sorry if you're... Um, I don't know if you're interested in this or not, uh, Steve, but... Uh, no, I'm awake. I'm awake. Don't worry. Uh, Carey Price is uh, 30 years old. He has, he's making uh, he's about to be making 10.5 million. Remember, he was injured most of last season, but uh, he has a 9.18 career save percentage in 5.58 career games. So that has a trajectory of not being worth it when you look at all these other like all these other goalie comparables, but. 
you know, it's still it's still fairly consistent. Uh, Corey Schneider is 32 years old. He's making six million. Uh, 920 career save percentage in 370 career games, even though Schneider kind of fell off a little last year. Um, so there, that's something you have to look at. We'll have to see. Um, and then Jonathan Quick was another one, uh, 32 years old, 5.8 million. So not as much as these other ones that I just mentioned, but 916 career save percentage in five, five in 556 career games. And then just for reference, I had, Hella Buck, uh, 25 years old, 6 million now, um, as we just mentioned, 917 career save percentage in 149 career games. And Flurry, um, who's 33 years old, he is making 5 million, but he will be making 7 million in, a couple, in, in another year. Uh, he has a 913. Uh, career save percentage in 737 career games. So compared to all these other goalies, you know, Flurry, that Flurry contract doesn't seem worth it just because he has a 913 career save percentage. Especially as I was mentioning before, it's like when he was on the Penguins, he wasn't, you know, he should, he should be doing well, but he has a 913 career save percentage. So that's not great. Um, so having said all this and doing all this research and stuff, I feel like, yeah, I think, you know, it, it's obviously, it's like kind of like paying Connor McDavid top dollar or paying t- Jonathan Tavares top dollar. You know, the, these guys are more or less like elite goaltenders. So you should pay them what they're worth um, in that regard. Um, you know, sure, there are, de- there's definitely a risk in, um, you know, like, for Lundquist, in like Lundquist's case, for instance, you're paying him $8.5 million, um, and you may not be able to afford a top-level talent in the front end of things. But that's the same issue for, uh, you know, the Edmonton Oilers have to deal with, the Chicago Blackhawks have to deal with, the Penguins have to deal with. And, um, you know, so I, I feel like, like the Rangers are nothing without Lundqvist. The the Bruins, like you know, did like those years when uh, the Bruins barely mi- missed the pit, the you know barely made missed the playoffs. I should say, um, you know, Rask was one of the main reasons why they were even close to that. So um, the value of goal, like goaltending is the hardest job, but it's also the riskiest you know, the most inconsistent goalie. Cause you don't know, um, you don't, you don't know year through year, um, how good a, a goalie is going to be. So I think it is worth the risk paying a goalie long-term like this, because like for a guy like Hellebuck, like sure, there is a chance that he's going to drop off, but he's also 25 years old and you want, you, you would rather see him on the team than have him, you know, go to another team and because and do what he what we know he's capable of, um, if that makes sense. So I've been talking a while. Um, I don't know what is your take on all of this. Well, I, I I definitely think that it's worth the risk of paying a goaltender that much money. Although when you get to like ten million dollars per year with quick and price, that's so tough because. 
it's like paying Connor McDavid twelve million per year. It's just like how much does a guy have to do to justify the amount of money he's getting paid? Like right. there are certain contracts where you're just like, how can anyone live up to that kind of uh, coin that they're making per year? Especially so just like yeah, Terry. Sorry, it's one of those contracts where it's just like you, you know, like is is like. How much do you have to accomplish in order to be worth that kind of money? Right, right? exactly. And on that note, like Carey Price, who's going to be making $10 million next year, when he's 30 years old, he's going to have to have like like 20 shutouts. You know? Yeah, he can't be average. He needs right. to be extraordinary Carey Price. Right. I mean, like, and, and to, to Carey Price's credit, he has been pretty consistent. If you, if you discount, I know that it kind of defeats the purpose, but if you discount... This last season, and you just take that as like a outlier. Um, you know, he has been pretty consistent um, throughout his career in terms of being a, an elite goaltender. So there is that aspect of things, and we know that Carey Price could be that ten million type goalie, but it's still like um, it's very possible that you know uh, injuries could get to him or. Uh, just, you know, like there was reports last year that we even covered where Carey Price was, um, he didn't have his head all together. Um, so there is that mental aspect of things. And um, there, so that's the, I guess that that is the risk. But it's also like, you don't want to be like Philadelphia where you don't have a consistent goaltender. Or uh, Calgary is another one. Or, um, you know, there's so many teams out there that, uh, Dallas, that, like, don't have, that have been searching years just to find that one goaltender that can, like, catapult them to an elite status. And, you know, it wasn't really until Hellebuck uh, had that stellar career, which, kind of transcended the Jets into being, like, this powerhouse of a team. Like, the Jets were a powerhouse of the team. It's not like they lost, you know, they didn't have Shifley and Line A and Wheeler and stuff. Like, Wheeler, those guys were doing well regardless of the goaltending, but it's always like, oh, well, now that they actually have a good goaltender, now let's see what they can do. You know, the same with the Blues, the Sabres is another one. The, the hurricanes, you know, it's like, it's like a lot of the issues that a lot of these teams have is like, if they get, I feel like I say this for a lot of them, is like, if they get a good goaltending, you know, then they're, they, they should be good. So goaltending is one of the most important aspects of things. And yeah, it is definitely worth it in terms of paying them that much money. Um, you know, of course, at the same time, you know, it's, you have this cap situation, so it means there is a downside to it, which means you can't afford to pay a lot of your players or get a free, a big time free agent, um, because, you know, that money is taken to your goalie, but, and, and, you know, goalies can be shaky for sure, but I feel like a lot of that is hindsight. Um, yeah, and, you know. and, and the other thing that has to do with goaltending, like you talk about, you know, big name players like Connor McDavid and Patrick Kane and, yeah. and Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, you know, you're they're evaluated on like how many points, how many goals they can score, what their two-way game right. is like, what their leadership abilities is like. 
but goaltending hinders on so many team aspects. How many shots are you facing a game? Who's backing you up? How many games are you playing in a year? How right. good or how bad is your defense? And you look at Price. Yeah. Is Montreal's defense really the best in the league? No. You look at uh, Nashville and Winnipeg and Boston. Their defense was so good. Their goaltenders weren't facing, um, you know, a skyward amount of shots per game uh, compared to previous years. And that's why they were top 10 teams. And that's why their goaltending was so yeah. good is because their defense was good in front of them. The Canadians didn't have that. Henrik yeah. Lundqvist, look at look at how bad uh, the Rangers regressed. Look who was backing up King Henrik last year. It was Andre frickin' Pavlik, who was inconsistent and injury-prone over the past couple of years. Yeah. So there are so many other factors that can impact how well or how not so well a goalie does. And I'll take a look at Patrick Waugh for an example. In 95-96 with the Habs, this was uh, a year before – um, his season in which he went 17, 20, and 6, and his GA was almost at 3. Um, in 95, 96, this was uh, the year he was traded out of Montreal. And this was where uh, the GM was fired. Um, Savard, Dennis Savard was fired. Um, and uh, the head coach, Jacques Demers, was also fired. Patrick Waugh was 12, 9, and 1 before he was traded out of Montreal. 2.95 goals against average. And you look at the vibe, you look at the team, it was pretty bleak in Montreal. But then he goes to an expansion team, or not an expansion team because they, they moved from Quebec to Colorado, but a new city like Colorado that is just getting used to the hockey environment. They get a big name like Patrick Waugh. They're excited to have him there. He thrives. They win the Stanley Cup. And the next five or six years, they look at his goals against average. It doesn't go over 2.4 once. So... A lot of the things that deal with the goaltender's success sometimes revolve around the situation of the team and what you've got in front of you, what you've got behind you, uh, what the coaching system is like. Goaltending is probably one of the more complex positions in all of sports, and there's such a big shelf life, and, and maybe even not as big a shelf life as you get older because it's, it's just like a starting pitcher. You know, you, you look at, how well they do out of the gate or how well they don't do. And all it takes is like a tinker here and there for someone's game to improve or for someone's game to regress. Yeah. And sometimes maybe it's the team itself that regresses and their numbers falter as a result of that. Yeah. So I think that also has to factor into this whole debate of whether or not we're paying our goaltenders properly. I think it's also more of what circumstances – uh, are these goalies going through and how much does that factor into their overall stats? Because I, I think it's such a tough, I, I think probably paying a goalie is, is the toughest thing in hockey because so much can change in a year or two yep. or three. Yeah. Especially cause like, you know, like take a guy like Matt Murray, for instance, like he had a, yeah. he had a, a strong, you know, he he won a Stanley Cup his rookie year. Then he also took over pretty much the next year, and then won a Stanley Cup again. And then this year he kind of gets injured, but he also um, he he struggles a little bit. But like, um, but that made a that made a big difference um, in, in that in that regard. It's like Matt Murray's play could 
be attributed to why the Penguins didn't go for a three-peat uh, this year. So um, so there is that aspect of things. Meanwhile, I, I was actually looking at his stats here. Um, he's making $3.75 million, so that's, a, that's a, not a bad deal for him. Um, I mean, obviously, because that's an entry-level kind of contract, so it's not like you would, they expected him to be uh, Matt Murray, but... Um, but I was uh, I just noticed that like oh that's not that's not a bad deal for him. Uh, speaking of that, uh, we have to go to the rapid fire and move on. Um, we have uh, so the biggest news and you uh, Steve talked about this with uh, Colin Teske a lot um, last episode. If you haven't checked it out, uh, please do. Um, but uh, Nikita Kucherov signs with the resigns with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, this was a eight year deal. Um, was it an eight? Oh yeah, it was, hold on. Eight year deal, a 9.5 million annual average value. Um, like, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's, um, contract, this is also, it starts next season. So not this year, but next year. Um, that's, that is going to be kind of interesting because, uh, next year, I'm looking at it here, and Cap Friendly has an interesting page here where they give you the totals um, for for each year. Um, and uh, so next year, they're gonna be um, they're gonna be a little bit interesting. Sure, they uh, Anton Strollman, um, Anton Strollman, Coburn, Girardi. Uh, Yanni Gord, uh, Andreoff, Conacher are going to be UFAs, and then, um, oh, and also, I don't know, never mind, um, and then Paquette, Ernie, uh, Slater Cuckoo, and Jake Dodson are going to be RFAs, um, but that means that they have, like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 10 players locked up. I mean, given these players are the likes of Stamkos, Kucherov, Tyler Johnson, Hedman, McDonough, um, Vasilevsky, Sergachev, you know, so those are a lot of their core players. Um, but it's still, um, you know, they still have to sign guys for less than depth. And I feel like this move for Kucherov um, is a little bit, um, is going to be... It kind of previews what they have to do to kind of structure yeah. their team going forward. Exactly. Um, yeah, I guess the only, there's only like two free agents that the Lightning have to worry about next year, um, is Braden Point and Yanni Gord. But like, you know, there is that aspect where it just shows that the window is liter- for the Lightning to win the cup with this year. I feel like is this year. Yeah, um, with the current core of guys that they exactly. have. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, unless point, I guess you could. You point will probably will obviously get a raise. He's making six hundred k right now. Yeah, but, especially with the year that he had. I'm, exactly. And I imagine he'll he'll only get more this year too. So and he all, they also yeah. got fifty points uh, the year where they missed the playoffs by a point and yeah. were also um, like 
not not really expected to make the playoffs with all the injuries, but in in a an accelerated role, he did very very well. Taking a look at his stats right here, um, oh. forty points in sixty eight games in his first year. That was uh, the year they nearly missed out in the playoffs. Thirty two goals, sixty six points last year in eighty two games. Mm. Anyways, Kucherov had uh, thirty nine. He, he also had twelve game winners as well last year. Uh, four of them came in over. They also had three shorthanded goals. So this was, we're, we're talking about a Swiss Army knife over here as well. And he's and he's not even making like 900000 a year. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Kucherov had uh, had 100 points this year. Um, he was uh, the se- so second in points um, in the league. Uh, 39 goals, 61 assists. He's 25 years old. I still feel like I don't know how Yarzerman does this because I mean nine point five million is obviously a lot, but uh, Kucherov was, like if if Connor McDavid's making twelve million, uh, Kucherov should be making I don't know like eleven million at least, maybe ten million. Uh, so getting him at nine million is kind of a not not a terrible uh, deal for Kucherov because you, he could have he, he could be making a lot more, especially considering he's twenty five years old. Um, so, um, it looks like Kucherov will be a lightning for the rest of his career. And, and he should be, cause he, he is one of the best players in the league. Um, maybe the second best player other than McDavid right now. So, um, so that, that is, uh, something to, uh, look at, I guess in the future in terms of the, the lightning's cap situation, but, um, I feel like this was a, a pretty good deal for Kucherov um, for the Lightning. Well. Yeah, I, I definitely, when you consider that only McDavid has scored more points than Kucherov over the past two years, that's pretty exclusive company. Right. This guy almost had two straight 40-goal campaigns. He had 39 last year. One of the few guys to reach 100 points last year. And I was making the argument to Konteski that maybe this would be a bargain signing for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Because, I mean, you, you look at Kucherov's value, and we were talking about how good Braden Point was. And you talk about, you know, um, what uh, Adam Earn was able to do and Yanni Gord was able to do this year. How much of that was because of how lethal Tampa's top line was and how they were able to distribute their assets on the second, third, and fourth line? Because when everyone is focused on your top line, that means – not too many people are focused on your second or third or fourth line as much. And that gives you more chances, more opportunities to thrive and ultimately pad your stats. And I think, I'm not saying that Brayden Point earned those kind of numbers, but even Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov are able to do. They kind of take the pressure off of the rest of the team, allow them to play a bit more relaxed. There's, they're not as tense with the sticks, you know, all, all the focus is on them. It's kind of helped the Tampa Bay Lightning, and it's kind of helped uh, the value of Stamkos and Kutrov. And I would argue that Kutrov has helped Stamkos as well, because you look at what Nikita Kutrov has been able to do, um, and you compare it to Steven Stamkos. Steven Stamkos had more power play goals than here. But the year before, when Stamkos was hurt, Kutrov had 17 power play goals. And of that Nikita scored over the past two years, 14 of them have been game winners. And prior to that season, in his first three years, he had 10 combined. Right. So right now, 
you look at Kucherov, he's just hitting his stride. Uh, he had 956 scoring chance generating plays last year, third most in the entire league, 123 completed passes to the slot. That was also in the top three in the league. And Steven Stamkos last year, points. The most single season by him since 2011-2012 when he scored 60 goals, 30 goals last year. He got 27. You look at what Kucherov has been able to do. When you look at the fact that he was top 10 and shot the entire league, and when you look at the fact that Stamkos registered his his lowest single season toll for shots on goal over the past four years with at least 70 games. Plum got 86 points to show you how much lightning are with Nikita Kucherov in the lineup than with Steven Stamkos in the lineup. Yeah, um, there is that aspect of things where, you know, Stamkos certainly does help Kucherov, but I feel like Kucherov um, is also... Um, good, even independent of Stamkos, because there were so many times when you know Stamkos has injury history in the past, and Kucherov has been able to take That's over. So there's another that. reason why I think keeping Kucherov is good because you don't know what the health of Stamkos is going to be moving forward, and it's been on and off good uh, the past couple of years. Yep. Uh, let's go to uh, Jacob Truba. Uh, this is. Well, the main reason why this has been getting so much attention is that uh, this uh, this actually this deal actually made it to arbitration because um, uh, usually and what happens it was settled by the arbitrator. It was settled by the arbitrator because usually what happens is like sometimes it does go to the meeting and sometimes it, you know but then or sometimes it like you know even still like there's a time when teams and the players, like, settle even during the meeting and stuff. But this got uh, pretty yeah. heated. Apparently there was a, a lot of words spilled over. Truba wanted $7 million. I think the the Winnipeg Jets wanted about, like, $4.4 4 million or something like that. Uh, uh, the arbitrator uh, settled on one year $5.5 million uh, here. Um, so that means that Truba is going to be an RFA again. He doesn't get seven million, but um, he gets a, a little, you know, five million for one year. Um, I guess this this it kind of this kind of reminds me back when uh, Subban was uh, had all those meetings with the Montreal Canadiens, and they kind of had like a uh, like, and then and then uh, Subban had like a bridge deal for whatever reason and um so i feel like this could lead to like truba um just being angry with the organization and i I wonder if this means that truba will go to another like will like will be traded or um how this will affect like the team chemistry and all that uh truba is 24 years old so he's not exactly old per se um, he has, um, this year though, he was injured for a couple of games, uh, for like 30 games or so. Um, but he had, it wasn't bad though. He had 24 points. Three of those were goals, um, in 55 games. So that's about like, um, that's pretty good for a defenseman. So that's about a 43 
points per game, um, which isn't bad for a defenseman. Um, I would guess, I'm not necessarily sure why there is such a, like, a tension between the two, because Truba is getting, like, maybe Truba is just, is upset about his playing time, I would guess, maybe, I don't know, um, but he is definitely a very talented defenseman, um, and I'm not necessarily sure if it's the Winnipeg Jets' fault for the for him being angry, or if if like Truba has a rightful reason to be angry at the Winnipeg Jets. Steve, here here's my take on this. Here, here's my take on this. Here, first off, before I get into thing. Here's to be considered. Next year, Patrick Line is an RFA. Kyle Connors, also an RFA. Yeah. Jacob True, well, will once be in with arbitration rights for the second straight year. And on top of that, Blake Wheeler will be an unrestricted free agent. It's going to be interesting summer for Kevin Dayoff, and it'll be interesting to stout Jacob Truba. True. You remember, I think it was about a couple of years ago, Jacob Truba asked for a trade out of Winnipeg. He oh, since yeah. rescinded that request. And they were hoping to get a deal done. And Jacob Truba, I'm mad at the Jets for either A, not giving me the money that I'm, B, not being Willing, I need to unlock. In my opinion, I whether or not the Jets want Truba around, they think he's worth the money um, to pay him over the course of the long term. I'm sure Jacob will stay in Winnipeg to a long term deal, but I'm sure he would also want. And the Jets right now. Aren't that? And I, I'm taking that over the course of his career. He got a free over a stretch of 60 games this is back in 2016-2017. Last year, he got 24 points of regression. And you look at what he did in the playoffs, he only got in 17 games. So really light it up in the playoff. Whereas you look at guys like Connor Hellebuck, and they were able to, and that's why Connor Hellebuck got his is because he backed it up in the playoffs. But you take a look at a guy, we're going to talk about extended, but in 2016-2017, four points, one less than Truba. Or, yeah. or one, he got 50 this year. Another level. Jacob Truba did not. Jacob Truba has got to fuel the fire. He can't be mad at the organization. Either got to usurp Dustin Bufflin as the top defender, which year because we're talking about a big bad Dustin Bufflin that can absolutely guys to oblivion who's eight years and at least fifty in five of the last eight years. Truba hasn't been able to accomplish either feat. If Jacob Truba top 10 score amongst defensemen 
next year. I, I think he gets extension, and I think he gets the money that he's looking for. But he needs that he is, in my opinion, hasn't done if he proves that he is worth that money. Still get them what they want. Truba has a right to be upset. He has right to demand a trade out of Winnipeg because he inches one step closer to free agency and one step closer to controlling his own destiny and getting what he wants. So I think Jacob Truba needs to have a big year. And if he does have a big year, then I think he's going to get what he wants. Yeah, I I had forgotten that he requested a trade a couple years ago, but that is a good point. Like, I, I feel like this is, like, a big-time prove-it deal for him. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's also one of those things where um, there is a chance. Like, you know, Tyler Myers um, was also a pretty good defenseman for the Jets, and he was kind of taking a bit of Truba's time, I feel like, um, as a pairing. So... So there is that aspect of things where, um, yeah, sure, they have Bufflin, sure, they have, you know, where I feel like, um, but, like, also Tyler Myers was being a top-pairing guy for uh, for the Jets at a time. So I feel like that may have also uh, been a part of uh, Truba's upsetness um, at, at the team. Um, that's not a word, but, um, I think that aspect of things where he's like, oh, well, Tyler Myers is, um, you know, he's going to be a top pair. Why can't I be? Um, and, and so maybe there's that, uh, that aspect of things. Not to say that Tyler Myers is bad because he's been, Tyler Myers has also been pretty good too. So, um, but I, I think it was more just like, maybe it's more of a competitive thing, um, than anything. Uh, by the way, I, I'm looking here. Tyler Myers. Guys like Tori, you look at Tori Krug and, and Seth Jones, they're getting paid. In, and in the money, that whole point is that Truba hasn't earned his money yet. And until, yeah. But I, I, I do agree with, with what you're saying. Jacob Truba. I think he does because, you know, he's, he's just like, okay, I'm going to stay in Winnipeg. And it's it's just like the endless circle of how much do you want me, really? Yeah, I mean, true. I mean, he has, he does, in his career, he has 129 points in 326 games. So that's not terrible per se, but it's, you know, I don't know. I guess, I guess that's true. Um, so... It'll be a, it's going to be an ongoing story, I'm sure. Uh, Matthew Dumba um, is the next guy we have up here. He's kind of, he like Truba, he's 24 years old, um, except um, this time he had 50 points um, this year as opposed to 24 points, which Truba had. Um, in, but Dumba also played a full season in 82 games. Um He's uh, he resigned with Minnesota for five years, six million annual average value. Um, this is uh, I I kind of like this deal, although it's one of those things where um, you know I guess like Ryan guys like Ryan Sutter, um, and we don't know what's gonna happen with Jared Spurgeon, but 
you know, Dumba could be the guy once Sutter is out of there. So, um, so Dumba is has a pretty good shot of doing that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess this. I mean, sure, this is his first fifty point season, um, but I think it is kind of like worth the risk to see what he can do because, like goaltenders. Uh, defensemen are hard to really predict as well. So uh, mm-hmm. considering they take just as long to develop. Um, and so if you can get down, if you can lock down Dumba like this, uh, like if you, if, if Dumba can be consistent um, and get 50 points for the rest of, you know, for these next five years, then I think this contract is worth it. Yeah, and I and you you look at what Dumba has been able to do over the past three years. His game has progressed offensively, regardless of what you think about his two way game. You're looking at the future of this defense along with Jared Spurgeon, who, by the way, like you mentioned, or the past couple of off season, it's Jared Spurgeon's going to be one of the many UFAs that the Wild are going to have to sign. You also look at Mikhail Granlund and Charlie yeah. Coyle and um, uh, Estal, uh, who is the UFA. Um, and it remains to be seen on the part of Matt Dumba, and that's you get back to the risky side of things. Is he on the same level as Tory Krug said about the price tag? Because you look at Tory Krug, he scored at least forty points in four of his past fifty-nine points this past season, career high. Yeah. Um, and Tory Krug was also a point per game player in this past postseason. He had 12, eleven games. Uh, and Seth Jones, meanwhile, fifty-seven points last year with the Blue Jackets and the season before he got over 40 points but you look look at the age of Ryan Suter he, he's on the wrong side of 30 as Dump was going to be this guy was a top 20 defensive scorer last year for Matt Dumba was over 1400 possession driving plays 26 in the league 760 defense if Matt Dumba can continue to improve his game this is the guy that are going to lean on on defense. Yeah. Uh, That's part of the reason why he got it, because they think he's going to be a big part of this future. Everything revolves around Dustin Bufflin, and probably will for the next four or five years, probably. Yeah, uh, there is that. that is true. Um, uh, Jason, on that note, Jason Sucker also resigns with Minnesota for five years. $5.5 million annual average value. This one's more of a questionable one. I mean, I know Zucker had 64 points, 33 goals this year, 82 games. Well, that was also partially because Zach Parise was injured um, and Nino, a Nidorider, were also were injured, so Zucker was able to take advantage of those two guys being out um, in particular. Um, so... If you're, I mean, I guess, I, mean, I know Parise has his injury history, so we're not sure if he's ever going to be the same. So maybe it is worth it from that regard, but still, like, you're still paying Zach Parise $7.5 million, um, still. Um, so it's still, like, it, I don't know. It, it's I'm not necessarily sure if, A, Zucker can be consistent and be, like, so they now have uh, Nino Nitterreiter and Zach Parise and Jason Zucker all on the left wing or right wing. 
um, it will be an interesting um, decision that, or like development. It's just, just uh, I don't know. Um, maybe there is something to it, but um, yeah. Uh, what 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 do you think about this, Jason Zucker? Well, uh, bring up some good points. I mean, he had thirty three goals in sixty four, being second on the team in goals last year. Um, he had one hundred and seventeen shots in the slot, tops on the team. Fifty five chances from the rush, also tops. The perhaps the Nino Ryder and uh, Parise injuries had a lot. To- that but Zucker is he went from 23 points to 22 goals and 47 points in 2016 in 2017 this is his second straight year up uh, the Minnesota Wild depth chart and I think for what Jason is hoping this isn't hoping that this is just and that He's continued to progress. What concerns me about Minnesota is not the fact they continue to re-sign players like Matt Dunn or like Mikhail Granlund and Nino Niederreiter last year. I'm what they've done to make this team better in the offseason. I'm left wondering they're going to be re-signed next dealer to to a two-year deal and Robert deal. Um, they bring in Matt Barteski for some defense, signing Greg Patter into a three-year contract, and the following guys get one-year deals. JT Brown, Eric Fair, and Andrew. What they're doing reminds me a lot of what the Hawks did last offseason, and that is get players at a cheap price. And we all know how well that uh, left last year, which wasn't that well because the thing in early April. Yep. So while I do like the fact that Minnesota is locking up their pivotal assets, they're, I think, in the same group as Dana. I'm worth their depth. Huh? And when you look at the fact that they're in this central division that is teams like Nashville and, and St. Louis improved. I don't even know St. Louis is a top three team. Minnesota's a top three team. Just how good they're going to be. And even if they are a top three team in the division, they're going to get a very good team out of the gate in round one. Are they going to be a continuous first round exit every year? Yeah, that I'm not sure. But, I mean, yeah, I think I think the Wild are worrisome. But, you know, they do have, to be fair, they do have a new GM now. So there is some outlook in that regard where it's like, oh, maybe they're going in this new direction. Um, but, yeah, th- there there is a chance where the, the wild could slide a bit, especially as you were saying that they're in this central division that's very competitive. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, um, I guess the bigger concern for Zucker is like, Maybe he is a late bloomer. Like, if you can get a consistently 30-goal guy, um, mm-hmm. then that's fine. But for $5.5 million, that, that makes sense. But, you know, this is his first 30-goal season um, by a long shot, whereas, like, his last year, 
he had 22 goals and this year he had 33. So it's, um, so that, that's the more worrisome is like if he can maintain that 30 goals, not saying that it's not possible. It's just, um, I'm not sure if he'll get the same opportunities. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and if you can do that on a secondary scoring level, that's even better. Because exactly. if, 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 if you're obviously means that your top scores aren't scoring enough. Yep. Right. Uh, speaking of that, Eli- <laughs> this is an, in- this is an interesting deal here. Elias Lindholm resigns with Calgary, uh, for six years, 4.5 million. I mean, 4.5 isn't a ton for sure, but, um, you know, Elias Lindholm has kind of been a little bit of a disappointment this year. Uh, he had, uh, especially now that he also has Bill Peters, um, he is going back to Bill Peters in, in Calgary. Um, and uh, so he has um, 44 points. He is 23 years old, so he's still pretty young. Um, but last year he had 44 points in 81 games. Um, so, like, sure, he'll he'll probably be on a top line at one point with Goudreau and Monaghan, which is better than what he had in Carolina. But at the same time, it's like we're, Calgary doesn't even know what he's going to be, like how he's going to fit in that team. Um, I know that the coach is going to be the same for him, but um, it, it's kind of a strange deal to... I, I think I'm more concerned about the six years than the $4.5 million because uh, like, it makes it like just a long-term deal like that where he hasn't even played a game for the Flames. It's just a little bit strange um, to me. Um, especially when he wasn't exactly great for them, you know, hasn't had a stellar career so far. Um, again, you know, I, I could look back at this episode and be like, what was I thinking? Like, of course, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, I, I feel like I'm right in saying that this is a little strange to give him six years for not even playing on the team yet. Um, that's why yeah. I find it strange. Yeah, and and I think you know, like ninety percent of these deals, um, well, probably throwing numbers out again, like at right. least eight percent of the deals that we talk about, it's it's more along the lines of boy, hindsight's really twenty twenty, isn't? So, yeah, you, know, you have people will judge this deal till the cows come home until they're proven wrong. Well, the that's fact of the matter is. You're basically describing hockey in the offseason. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, like like you said, a lot hinges on how good this deal is. And and, uh, a lot of it is what his role is going to be on this team. Because you look at another right winger in James Neal, who they're also playing, uh, who they're also paying a lot of money to play in Calgary. They're going to be paying him for five years. Uh, one of either James Neal or Elias, I think it all depends on which one's going to spend more time in the top line. Because yeah. Lindholm was a guy that had a decent slot pass success rate at even strength, near the NHL's top 30 in that uh, in uh, defensive zone possession success rate. Uh, again, another even strength stat. Um, and he did that on a Hurricanes team that struggled to win at times, not to mention score. 
So I definitely, so for Elias Lindholm to have a good season is there. And the fact that he believes that he's due for a breakout year, the fact that uh, GM Bradshaw Living says this kid is going to pop um, says a lot because sometimes all a player is missing is confidence. Yeah. Sometimes confidence can be the biggest thing in a breakout season. True. And when the GM believes in you like that, when the player himself believes that he can do some good things, sometimes that's all you need to find your game. The fact of the matter is, though, points once in his NHL career, and he's making close to Mike Hoffman. My guy has consistently posted at least 50 points for the past few years. He's also scored more than 20 goals a few times, something that Elias Lindholm also hasn't done. So this is one of those deals, again, where the GM thinks this guy's going to be a huge part of our offense. Let's sign him to this deal. It's going to look like a steal. But until we see that kind of production, we don't know how good this deal is going to be. Because like you said, he hasn't played a game for the Calgary Flames. He hasn't played a game on the top line or on the second line. We don't know what the chemistry level is going to be with guys like Sean Monaghan, guys like Johnny Goodrill. We don't know if James Neal has more chemistry than Elias Lindholm does with those two guys. So a lot hinges on what he does this year and beyond. Yeah, I kind of forgot about James Neal is also going to be on the Flames too. So that's going to that's another wrinkle added wrinkle to this as well. And um, <laughs> you know, I'm looking here that uh, Neal is being paid more, so maybe Neal will be on the top line, and then Lindholm will be on the second line. Which I guess if you're paired with uh, Matt Kachuk, that's not bad either. But um, but you know, still I I imagine he would rather be with Monaghan and uh, Goudreau instead. Um, the other good news about Lindholm is that there's no uh, no move clauses, there's no no trades, so there's none of that in, right. at any point in his deal. So if the Flames decide to sell off some assets, um, it's not like they'd be strapped and they can't move them. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I'm more concerned about the years than the actual term. And I guess, like, 4.5 isn't terrible. It's, like, an affordable thing. It's not like it's the end of the world in yeah. that regard. It's yeah. more just like, oh, my God, you have him for 60 years? Like, what? Yeah. what's going to happen if that, you know, if he if he doesn't actually live up to that? Um, that then that, that's when you have to worry. Um, Adam Henrique uh, re-signs with the Ducks uh, for five years, $5.8 million. Um, this is also like Kucherov and Fleury that starts next season. Um, I didn't realize that it feels like Henrik has been in the league for a long time. I mean, I guess he has. He's been in the league for nine seasons about. Um, but uh, he's 28 years old. I thought he was a little bit older for some reason. But anyways, he had 50 points this year um, in 81 games. Um, there was a midseason trade, so um, part of that was for the Ducks and part of them for it was for the Devils. Um, but, uh, yeah, he had 20 goals in 57 games for the Ducks, um, which is impressive. Um, and, I mean, this is also kind of one of those things where I think there was a report that Ryan Kessler may miss the entire season this year. Um, yeah, so, and, and, they're, and they're hoping that Pat Eves will be best. Yeah, Patrick Eves might be back too, so... Um, so there, so there is that aspect of things where Henry could fill in 
for uh, he, uh, for Kessler while like maybe Kessler goes on LTIR for the remainder of his contract or something like that. So um, that is something to uh, look out for. But uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of like this deal. Um, it may it may end up costing them towards the end of this contract, but you know he's kind of Henrik's kind of underrated and. That kind of fits with the Ducks, because I feel like a lot of the players on the Ducks are a little bit underrated. Um, so, um, so yeah, that, that, I don't know. I think that that's a good deal. Um, maybe a little bit too much, but I don't know if it's necessarily like worrisome too much <laughs> money. Uh, I think the 10-team modified no-trade clause is, is a bit concerning, yeah. but other than that, this is a no-brainer to me if I'm the yeah. Ducks, I mean... You look at what he was able to do uh, in the time that he spent in Anaheim. 20 of his 24 goals last year came with the Ducks. Eight exciting. of those 20 goals were game-winning tallies, by the way. Yep. So when I look at secondary scoring that they're hoping to get when they trade Sammy Batten into New Jersey, um, I think they're getting a lot of bang for their buck. And I think at the same time also this deal scares me because it appears that this team is relying on Adam Henrik way too much. They're paying him, in my opinion, like a primary goal scorer, and that's because he is their primary goal scorer. I mean, it's great that Raquel's scoring at least 30 goals in back-to-back years, but is he the core that needs to produce? No. That would be Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff. Right. Granted, Ryan Getzlaff has never been known as a goal scorer, but Corey Perry is. Corey Perry has been a consistent 30-goal scorer for the most part of his career. But when you look at the past two years, and I mentioned this in my interview with Colin Teske, over the past two years, Corey Perry has scored 36 goals combined. He's failed to get a 20-goal season in both of those campaigns. His 17 tallies last year were the fewest in a year with at least 70 games played since the year they won the Cup in 06-07. And over the past 28 playoff games... Corey Perry has scored a combined four goals. And in two of the past three years where Anaheim was a first-round playoff exit, Corey Perry had zero goals. Right. So when I look at that, and I look at the fact that Corey Perry is making well over $7 million per year, and he's not even scoring 20 goals, that concerns me. And even more so the fact that Brian Kessler might be missing some time and you don't know what you're getting out of Patrick Eves, who scored 30 goals the year before a health ailment forced him to miss pretty much all of last year. So this team's core is aging. This is the bottom line. That's that's the argument I'm trying to get towards. And they can't rely on John Gibson and Brian Miller to bail them out every single night. That's going to catch up with them. And when you look at an able to do – when you look at the fact that Kopitar and Doughty are still the core of the LA Kings along with Jonathan Quinn, when you look at the potential of other teams, the Pacific Division getting better, Anaheim's in a tough spot because they're keeping the assets that they have. When you look at what they've done this past offseason, the one-year additions they've made for guys like Luke Shen and Andre Schuster and Brian Gibbons and a third-string goalie, Jared Coral, I'm, I'm looking at the Ducks and I'm thinking – you know, they're okay. They haven't gotten worse. Have they gotten better? No, not really. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I still feel like they're, they, they're on the fringe of being a really good team, but they're still, like, not terrible enough to be, like, in the lottery. Like, they're in the, the middle yeah. zone, you know. 
So I, I, I don't know. And as for Corey Perry, like, I feel like he's kind of like the equivalent of like a Milan Lucic type where, um, you know, he's or just a power. Dustin pow- Brown maybe. Yeah, yeah, Dustin Brown, just like a power forward. Um, and those tend to uh, drop off. Like when they drop off, they drop off a lot. So um, there yeah. is, it's, it's it, but like there is, but like obviously Corey Perry can score more than say Milan Lucic can, or um, or as you just uh, or Dustin Brown can. So um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I'm not too worried about it. I feel like. Uh, Corey Perry has the potential to bounce back. Um, I'm not necessarily sure why he's necessarily been, um, you know, been disappointing these last couple of years. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's I think I think uh, I think there's still there's still some hope for Corey Perry. But you're right in terms of just the identity for the Ducks. Uh, Corey Perry needs to get going. Uh, we do have a trade to announce. Um, it's a big trade. Uh, just kidding. It's not really a huge trade, but, uh, Marion Hossa. It's Carlson. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, Marion Hossa's, uh, Marion Hossa's technically retired, or not technically retired, but, uh, technically, I guess the opposite of retiring, technically still in the league, even though he can't play, but, uh, his contract is, um, traded to the Coyotes, who have a history of taking on these kind of players. Um, and uh, the uh, the Coyotes also end up getting Vinny Henestroza and Jordan Osterley, who are both two pretty legitimate players, um, you know, young, up-and-coming players, um, and a 2019 third-round pick as well, whereas the Blackhawks end up getting Kruger, Marcus Kruger, back, um, if you remember Marcus Kruger, kind of had like a whirlwind of um, players. Um, and yeah, before he, before he was traded everywhere else, he was in Chicago. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's kind of like a cycle. Um, Mackenzie Entwistle, who could be something, Jordan Malata and Andrew Campbell, who I believe are just AHL players, um, you know, AHL lifers. Um, and they all, the Blackhawks also get a 2019 fifth round pick. So this is a, another one of your typical, like, Blackhawks cap dump trades, um, that they make seemingly every offseason. And this is also another one of those, uh, Coyotes trades where they end up picking up a, a retired player like, uh, Chris Pronger, Pavel Datsuk. Um, I think there's another one that I'm missing, but. Dave Boland. Dave Boland, yeah. Um, where they. You know, they just, uh, they get these guys just so that they can reach the floor. But, um, the thing that's interesting about the Coyotes in this regard is that, A, they got, they ended up getting, like, two legitimate players, and B, like, they're kind of a, they're kind of an up-and-coming team themselves, so they, they don't even necessarily need to hit the floor and get all these players just so that they can, um, hit the cap floor, per se. Um, but, uh, you know, Hinnestrosa could be like a good depth player for them. And who knows with Osterle, as we've mentioned before, like defensemen are, uh, tough to develop, but he could be something too. So, um, 
there is that aspect of things where, you know, like this could end up hurting the Blackhawks like it has for another couple of their deals. I remember Nick Letty was traded a while ago. Uh, feels like yeah. forever ago. Um, there's a couple of other ones that were just purely cap dumps. I guess Panarin technically, but uh, they ended up getting sawed in that deal, so I don't know if that was necessarily a cap dump. The one where they dumped uh, Bufflin and um, Andrew Ladd to yeah, Atlanta that was another at the time, one, yeah. that ended up being a big thing. But too. I feel like there was a more recent one that I'm blanking on, but Anyways, um, I, I don't know. I like I like this deal for the the Coyotes, um, and you know the Blackhawks kind of need to uh, free some cap space just just because they do have Kane and Taze for uh, ten point five million um, per year now, and they kind of have to they have to do these kind of things. Um, but uh, so you know, just by virtue, I feel like the Coyotes won this trade, um, but. You know, it could, I don't know, who knows at this point. I think this deal has to do more with where the Hawks are going uh, moving forward because I, I think the clear-cut winner in this trade was Arizona because they actually got some decent assets here. But you look at the Hawks right now, they have roughly $5.4 million to spend to improve their roster for next year. All they've done is sign Cam Ward for one year, Chris Kunitz for one year, and Brandon Manning on a two-year deal to bolster their defense. Corey Crawford, like I mentioned in my interview with Colin Teske, he's only a year younger than Cam Ward. And his health battles last year made me question just how much longer this guy has of primetime Blackhawks hockey where this team is contending for a playoff spot, contending for the Stanley Cup. And you look at the team as a whole, and I'm wondering, you know, Seabrook at one point was scratched last year. Right. All these defensemen had hashtag more goals than Keith, and the Hawks have got this guy for five more years with a modified uh, no-move clause. So I'm thinking, are the good times over? Is it time to consider trading either Taves or Kane? And uh, I, think, I think the more and more – like last year, last year is one thing because they made the playoffs – they struggled to score goals against Nashville in the first round. I think they only scored three in the four-game series. But still, they made the playoffs. Yeah. Last year, they didn't even make the playoffs. And they're still not really improving. And other teams in their division are improving. And other teams in the West are improving. So yeah. I'm left wondering, if you're looking at the future of the Chicago Blackhawks, Maybe you didn't think about trading Patrick Kane before, but maybe maybe you start to explore that a little bit more now. This is where I kind of disagree with you. I yeah. see. I know what you're going with. I'm, I'm not going to defend the Cam Ward signings, the Chris Kunitz, or the Brandon Manning signings. Uh, those were strange deals, and I'll admit that. However, I feel like the main reasons why the Blackhawks uh, trailed off last season was because Corey Crawford wasn't healthy enough, and their goal, and they couldn't find a good enough goalie to, you know, man the fort, so to speak. And you know, like Patrick Kane was actually doing pretty well uh, despite all that. Um, Jonathan Tays kind of trailed off a bit, but whatever. You know, so there, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Blackhawks have another one of these kind of seasons again. But I feel like. If you get a healthy Corey Crawford, it's all going to be dependent on a healthy Corey Crawford. And if you remember, like at the beginning of the very beginning of the season, 
Corey Crawford was like unbelievable um, for them, and he was like one of the main reasons why they were even contending um, at like in, in October. I mean, obviously it's October, so that's not saying much, but like that that is a good sign in that regard. Where it's like, oh well, if Corey Crawford can be healthy, then I think the Blackhawks are fine, and um, and I think. You know, so Corey Crawford will have to be a good player for them or keep on doing what he's doing. I guess the question becomes is if he's going to, um, if, <laughs> if he can do that. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm just an optimist here, but I feel like he can. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Blackhawks make some noise in, um, in the season this year, um, you know, and I mean, I guess there is some concerns about Brent Seabrook and maybe Duncan Keith as well. But, you know, at the same time, I don't know. I, I think Duncan Keith, at least, is too good not to trail off this much. Um, you know, he just got severely unlucky last year. Um, you know, the, the Blackhawks also have Debrinkat, Nick Schmaltz, who is something. They have Dylan Sakura here. Um and you know, I think uh, Henry Yoka Yurhu. Um, I don't. I don't know how to pronounce his name really, but Yoki Haru maybe. Yoki Haru, you know who I'm talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, they also got uh, Gustav Forsling in the, uh, you know, in the minors, so they could be Adam called Yolk up. Fist, remember him? Yeah, Adam Buckfist. Although he's a couple of years away, but yeah, you know, you're right in terms of like they have to watch out for though, right? Exactly. Yeah, and Dylan Sakura. Um, who was in Northeastern last year? Who could make uh, who could make the roster this year? So, so there is definitely like some potential here where they have enough young players, and then if you mix them in with Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, and who knows with Brandon Sod as well, and and Anisimov, then I think you you kind of have like a legitimate team here, um, and I, I I just wouldn't be surprised. I, I'm just not. I know the Blackhawks enough that they should. We shouldn't count them out. Um, like I know, twenty fifteen was fairly long time ago, I guess. But like I, I, I don't know. I'm still, I still fear them a bit, um, just because it's like it's like them and the Penguins, where I'm like, you never know. They could, they could make a run, and I, I think the Blackhawks are always that kind of team where it's like, any second now they can, they can make a run. Um, I I think it's one of those things where if they don't do anything next year and Corey Crawford is healthy and they still don't make the playoffs and their depth doesn't shine, then yeah, I agree. I think there's no turning back because if you're the Chicago Blackhawks, you need to take a look at the future and you need to take a look at what's going to help you continue to contend for a Stanley Cup down the road. And I think. The reason I mentioned Patrick Kane is because he is the guy that you would get the most return trading for. Yeah, but you're not trading. I I just I just I count last season as a bit of a fluke. I, I yeah. feel like just because Crawford, like just the Crawford injury, kind of just changed their whole dynamic of things. So it, I, it's more it's more again the same argument where like Minnesota and St. Louis is like, do you want to be stuck in mediocrity yeah. or do you want to win champion? 
Blackhawks. And can this course still do that? It's all about where the Chicago Blackhawks want to be as an organization for years to come. Yeah, That's what it comes down to. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, yeah, and, and I feel like for Arizona's side, like, Henestrosa could be something that's good. Um, you know, it's it's probably it sucks to lose a guy like that for the Blackhawks, especially since he's, like, 24 years old and on a cheap contract, but I think that well, was... By the way, Henestrosa signed that cheap contract with Chicago before he was traded. Right, yeah. Uh, so... So that's not, like, you know, it's it's not a terrible um, it, uh, situation for Henestrosa there because, you know, now they have Galchenia, Henestrosa, um, you know, Clayton Keller, Dylan Strome, maybe Brandon Perlini. So they have a good, a Dvorak, so they have a good couple of young players that are coming up um, that could be something or have a lot of potential. Lawson Krause is another one. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and who knows with Jordan Osterley, it's, but it's, but again, it's not like, you know, with Chikrin, Goligoski, and OEL, and Demers, and Jomelson, it's not really like, I guess Jomelson is another one of those cap dump trades, but, um, you know, it's not like they necessarily need Osterley to be uh, a big contributor, right, yet, you know, so, it, it, like, if he, if he is good anyways, that's great, but... It's not like he's expected to be that way. Um, Aginla officially retires. Um, he didn't play all last season, but um, I guess the big... I feel like he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Um, it is sad that he'll never, he never won the Cup, but I was looking at his stats here. He had uh, 13... He ended with 1,300 points in uh, 1,554 games. Um, six six hundred and twenty four of those were uh, goals. Um, so um, yeah, I, I feel Aginla was one of those like players where you know you love watching him. He was a talk about power forward. Of course, you always remember him as a Calgary Flame. Um, he he's he was um, he was a good Bruin for that one year, um, and then he went to the Avalanche towards the end of that. But um, um, and I guess they were expected to be good, but, you know, it was kind of clear that he wasn't keeping up with them, um, and I guess he just was a free agent this year. No one seemed interested in him, but, um, yeah, so it was a good career for him. I feel like he is definitely a Hall of Famer. It's just I'm not necessarily sure if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's he's definitely up there. Yeah, just taking a look at... Um at some of the stats and you forgot probably the most important stat. And that was setting up Sidney Crosby on the golden goal. Uh, I don't know if you remember that back in 2010. That was kind of, I may have blinked that out of my memory. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't blame you. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, for, for a guy like Jerome again, like playing over 1500 games, getting over 600 goals, uh, 1,300 points. Um, it, it was a pretty good career. And yep. what he meant to the Calgary Flames as the captain of the franchise for the longest time, um, leading them to the 2004 finals, you would argue if, if that goal was allowed in, in overtime of game six, maybe you would have a, a cup uh, yeah. ring uh, on his finger. But um, unfortunately, uh, that's not the case. But um, 
he did a lot of good in this game. He didn't win the Stanley Cup, but uh, yeah. I, I think he's definitely Hall of Fame uh, worthy for sure. Uh, it's yeah, just a matter of uh, how long it'll take to get him in there. I don't know if he's the first ballot, though. I think it's more like a case of Daniel Albertson where you know he'll have to wait a couple of years before he gets in, but I think yeah. someday he's going to get in. It's one of those things where I wouldn't be surprised if he's the first ballot Hall of Fame, kind of like a Martin St. Louis, but I, I, I'm not necessarily sure. Um by the way, I, I kind of, I guess I glanced over his achievement, his awards he got. He won the Art Ross in 2001-02, and then he won the Rocket Richard that year as well. He also won it another time in his career as well. Um, and then he also got the King Clancy Award. He's a four-time All-Star as well. So he's he's definitely deserving of an, of the Hall of Fame. It's just a matter of when that will be. Um Okay, I guess... Oh, I forgot to do Ray Emery. I guess we can do that after we talk about Linden is out as a Canucks president of hockey operations. Um, this just in. It feels like... I think I saw that uh, Jim Benning's going to take over. Um, he's going to be the, both the GM and the president of hockey operations for the time being. I'm not sure if that's a permanent thing, but um, it is. It, I guess it's kind of sad considering that you know, Trevor Linden has been a a long-time Canuck for them. So, um, yeah, I don't know what this means in terms of the management, but I think it is worth a mention um, in that regard. Taking a look at uh, what uh, the Canucks owner had to say, Francesco Acolini, here, uh, he had a 12-part explanation of the whole thing on Twitter, and Part 9 um, said this. A rebuild is a long, slow, gradual process. Everyone needs to be united behind the same vision and pulling in the same direction. And I'm just thinking, what does that mean when he says that? Like, does it mean the owners want to win now and not later? Um, And based on what I've read, Trevor Linden's been the guy preaching patience uh, in the Connects rebuild since the beginning, uh, since two seasons ago when he first uttered the word rebuild. Uh, He wasn't worried about winning next season. He was just like, don't worry, it'll come. Just keep developing our prospects. Um, and um, he, and Aquilini reiterated that Trevor Linden is not a quitter, um, wasn't a quitter as a player, wasn't a quitter during uh, his time as president of hockey ops with the Canucks. Um, he maintained that the two sides parted ways amicably. But, again, if the whole philosophy is to win now um, and if, if that's what the Canucks ownership was leaning towards, they want to win right now. Maybe I can see why they'd have that urgency because of teams like Buffalo and Edmonton. Because you look at Edmonton's rebuild, it took nine or ten seasons to get back into a playoff state of mind. Right. And Buffalo is still trying to find that uh, playoff relevancy since uh, the early part of this decade. Yeah. And the last thing a team like Vancouver wants to do is to get complacent with the rebuild because that's when the fans are told every year, keep the faith, remain calm. Mm-hmm. This year's right. going to be better. It's all going to come into place. And then you just feel like you're back at square one every single year. The players are going golfing in April. There's no playoff hockey to be found. You don't know um, what next year is going to look like. And you're told, don't worry, next year is going to be our year. Next year, you're going to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think, fortunately for Vancouver, you look at guys like Elias Peterson and Adam Godet and um, – the hype that's around them. And you look at Brock Besser and Bo Horvat and what they've shown in this league and the future of their goaltending and Thatcher Demko and Mike DiPietro. I think 
the future is looking pretty bar- uh, looking pretty bright. And if Arizona has shown us uh, anything in, in the second half of last year, um, I think the time for some of the losing teams to start winning again uh, is creeping up. And uh, I, I can I can see in a couple of years Vancouver being a strong team. Um, but it, it, it's I think what took me aback is just how fast it happened because when this news came out, I'm just thinking, wow, how many people expected this? Mm. How many people expected them to part ways with London just out of the blue like that? Yeah. Um, according to Elliot Friedman, uh, hearing that D- Dean Lombardi is a serious contender for open job in Vancouver, we'll mm. see where it goes. So um, that could be interesting considering like the Kings and the Vancouver are kind of in the same division, so that would be interesting if Lombardi and they've had, they've had some good playoff battles over the years, too. Yeah, that too. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and as for what you were saying about, like, Aquilini's comments, it's, it isn't, I feel like the Canucks are in a, uh, you know, it seems like Elias Pedersen has a lot of hype now, same with, um, Adam Gaudet and Jonathan Darlene to a, a, a little bit less of, of an extent, but, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, at this, Quinn Hughes is another one, so, yeah. You know, and as you just mentioned, they also have young players in Brock Besser and Bo Horvat. So they have, and Thatcher Demko, who um, may be coming up. So they have a couple of things going on right now. Um, as for like, I don't know if, why Aquilini expected the uh, Canucks to be contenders if that was the case, because it's not like. Like, if he thought the Canucks were contenders, where, like, what world is he living in, you know? It's, yeah, like, yeah. both Alberta teams yeah. missed the playoffs, and they're in much better shape than the Canucks are. In right exactly, now. so, and also, like, like... the Canucks are the last team in the Pacific, I yeah. think a lot more people are expecting Arizona to do better than Vancouver next year. Yeah, and it's also, like, Vancouver is, like, one of the, like, has, like, one of the best prospect pool just throughout their entire organization right now. Um, maybe a lot of that is hype, and it's it's hard, you know, prospects you never really know. But, you know, like, mm-hmm. just for all those like guys that I just mentioned, you know, you have Thatcher Demko, Pedersen, Quinn Hughes now. You have uh, Darlene, maybe, Gaudet. Um, so it's like, that's, that's a pretty good prospect pool. Not to mention Brock Besser, who was, who could have been, a Calder Trophy winner, um, so so if you're a Canucks fan, you're you're pretty excited for all those guys, um, and that's something to look forward to. But I don't know; it's <laughs> that seems kind of strange to say that as an owner. It's like, are you living under a rock? Are you you know? It's like that's not a bad thing to rebuild. Um, that's, yeah. that, so it's not a bad thing to rebuild if you do it right. Exactly, and they were doing it right. Um, so, you know, they, they, they were drafting well and they were trading well. Um, if the Canucks are this kind of, you know, still below 500 in about two or three years Mm. and Trevor Linden's still the president, then I could understand it because I think at that point you're supposed to get better. And if he didn't get better, then you'd have reason to part ways, but they're not expected to win this year. 
Right. Why part ways with Trevor Linden? Yeah. No, I that that I don't understand. It, it's it's just the timing of it that took me by surprise. Yeah, I guess. I mean, like I I guess it's I don't know. It kind of reminds me back to the seventy sixers, where um, the uh, guy who who is kept on saying um, I'm blanking on his name, Sam Hinkie, uh, who kept on saying trust the process, and he kept on making all these trades to uh, to get like uh, you know to get all these. Um, draft picks and prospects, and then he ends up. Uh, I mean, I guess he, he ends up uh, getting fired by the N- NBA because because uh, it's kind of like tanking. But you know, it's kind of like a similar thing where it's like that's what you do in a rebuild. You have to like you have to suck enough to be in a rebuild. I mean, sure, it sucks for fans, but. You know, it's also like practicing patience. Like, look at the Winnipeg Jets; they stunk for about a decade straight, and now and they and but however, all their top draft picks and prospects have all turned out phenomenally well for them. Yeah, and and so, they haven't really gotten any like big name free agents or any big name players to the yeah. deadline until Paul Stastny this past year. Right. All of these guys were acquired either through their days in Atlanta or through yeah. the draft. Guys then, like Lennon, guys like Hellebuck, guys like Truba, guys right. like Scheifele. Connor, Lennon, yeah. So yeah. Wheeler, I mean, Wheeler was through a trade, but yeah, no, that, yeah. that is another one. Yeah, so it's it's like they they took advantage of that. Um, but, uh, but, the, but, like, but my point was is that it's not even a bad thing to – uh, to claim you're rebuilding or claim you're, you know, because that's just, I, that's a good way to do it. Um, yeah. On a on a dark note, I guess we're ending on a darker note, but um, Ray Emery died last, uh, I think it was Sunday, was it last, it was it last was, Sunday. It was, July, it was July the 15th. Yeah, I'm looking at his biography right here um he uh was found in a lake um outside of ontario um it seem, appears that he drowned um he played for ottawa early on then he played for philly anaheim chicago and philly again um he ray emery had a lot of personality in him um he may not have been the best goaltender in a in the world, but he definitely had a lot of fire in him and uh, hard work as well. Um, I the only memory I have of Ray Emery as a player was when he um, when he had that like goalie fight. Um, yeah, with Biron, and then Peters came after him too. Yeah, well, no, I was thinking was, and and smiling the entire time. Yeah, exactly, and he always seemed to take such joy in that. So I don't know it. it I, I love when players hockey doesn't have a ton of personalities and Ray Emery certainly did have one. So it, it was a sad loss. And even though he hasn't played in the NHL since 2015, um, I felt like um, it, it was just sad hearing that he died. So, so um, late in his life, I mean, early in his life, he was, he died when he was 35 years old. So, um, he still had a lot of life left to live. It's not just all about hockey and stuff, but, um, 
So yeah, I, I know thoughts out to family and friends that truly knew him personally. Um, obviously, we don't know him personally, but um, it still doesn't <laughs> make it sadder. Um, yeah, I, I know you talked about this with Colin Tusky too, but um, if you have any thoughts, more thoughts on it. Um, it during his time in Ottawa, honestly, Ray, Ray Emery at, at times... He had, I, I, I don't want to say, an, um, I don't want to say, like, maybe he came off the wrong way to, to the fans. Like, there were times where there were about a couple of spats in practice. There was one time he fought with Brian McGradden in practice. And um, it once he got that three-year contract, I don't know if it went to his head a little bit, but he just, he just, a goaltender, he, he, he didn't look like the goaltender uh, from 2006-2007. And in, in that year, and in 05-06, when Hasha got hurt, um, Ray Emery was playing some of the best hockey of his career. And he loved being in the spotlight. Uh, and he was a competitor. He was a fighter. Uh, throughout the later stage of his career, he was um, battling through an injury, trying to get back into the league. And... Um, there were a lot of times in his career where he had to persevere and, and get through some tough times. And um, uh, there, there were some, there were some sides of him that uh, gave off a bad persona. Um, but you look at what he was doing uh, in his final days before his sudden passing uh, the day before he was playing in a charity hockey game. This, this guy had his, what, what he, he seemed like, um, you know, he had, um, some personality issues, but um, he he had heart. He had heart. He was a fighter, and he didn't give up. And um, I think that's the Ramry that a lot of people are going to miss. The guy that had a big heart, the guy that would not quit no matter what. And um, it, it was it was very sad just just to hear the uh, just to hear of of the news, like you know, swimming with a bunch of friends. Uh, in the lake, and he, he goes under, he doesn't resurface, and just all around sad, sad news when we when we found out about it. And it, it's, uh, I guess, another reminder to never take life for granted and enjoy every moment that you have with the ones that you love because you just never know yep. when it's going to be your last day on Earth. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, very, very sad day, very sad off season in general for the Sens and uh, thinking of um, everyone who knew Ray Emery and those affected by uh, this loss and um, he is going to be greatly missed. Yep, I uh, couldn't say it better myself. I was actually, I was looking back, I was actually thinking of that time when Ray Emery uh, fought uh, Braden Holtby. Um, that oh, yeah, yeah, there, there, that was... Uh, that- was getting spanked by the Capitals at that point, yeah. and uh, Ray Emery came over to Holtby's end, and I, I'm pretty sure Ray Emery won that fight handily. Yeah, although at the same time he kind of blindsided Holtby because Holtby didn't clearly didn't want to fight. But, yeah, uh, that that those were kind of the moments where that made it a little bit interesting. I, I kind of <laughs> question his character a little bit, but yeah, um, I, I I think there was even then there was still a lot of good in Ray Emery and yeah. Uh, Sad, sad we're not going to see that anymore. Um, all right. Uh, so this is now two, it's almost two hours here. Um, on that note, uh, 
You can check our Twitter at Lace and Podcast. Uh, our our uh, Facebook is Lace Em Up. Um, and oh, we're on SoundCloud as well. We should be on iTunes, but I haven't checked in a long, long time. So I assume we're on there, but who knows? Um, I think that's about it. Uh, sorry this has been a little bit long, but we've been away for two weeks. So you get... An action-packed episode, I guess, every time. Uh, I'm yeah, Brett... that, should cover you, that should cover you for another two weeks. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 134 in two weeks' time on the Lace Em Up podcast. <laughs>